This program is brought to you by the Provost Teaching Fellows at the University of Texas at Austin. Jim, I'd love to talk to you about Taiwan because I just started my project there and the National Chenchi University working with Taiwan Experimental Education Center. You know, I've been to Taiwan about 14 times. I can't believe I didn't talk to you before. I'm so sorry. So shall we hold our phones up and we're going to hit record in three, two, one. One. I think it's recording. Who we are as people, who we are as teachers. Like I say, every four years I'm up. I'm a military kid, I'm an Air Force brat. I also write fiction and do other crazy stuff. Creativities imbued in every single thing I do. I came here to be an aerospace engineer. How did you get interested in politics? Uh, I'm sorry, Stephanie, that's really none of anybody's business. <laughs> hey, we're all steeped in the same tea. Welcome to the other side of campus. I'm Katie Dawson, Associate Professor in the Theater and Dance Department in the College of Fine Arts and a Provost Teaching Fellow. And I am Dixie Stanforth, Professor of Instruction in the Department of Kinesiology and Health Education and also a Provost Teaching Fellow. Today, we're talking with Jim Patton. He's an Adjunct Associate Professor in the Department of Special Education in the College of Education. Dixie, I'm so excited to talk to Jim today. I've been uh, like a fan from afar. So Jim has taught students with special needs at the elementary, secondary, and post-secondary levels in both public and private settings. His areas of professional activity are transition assessment and planning, differentiating instruction for students with special needs in inclusive settings, study skills instructions, needs of college students with learning-related challenges, and issues associated with individuals with disabilities who encounter the criminal justice system. He currently works with other professionals internationally, which we're excited to hear a little bit about, and serves as an intellectual disabilities forensic specialist in death penalty cases throughout the country. Jim, we have so many different topics based on that introduction that we are excited to chat with you about. But let's start, though, with your story. Our story, you and me, is that we met years ago when I was searching for faculty members who would let me try part of my provost teaching fellows project in a class that had a lot of first-year students. And you were both gracious and kind to offer access. It was clear then, and I have seen even more over the past years, that you are truly an extraordinary teacher. And I wonder if you'd start by sharing how you've ended up here at UT working with some unique and special populations, and teaching undergraduate studies core classes. Well, great. Well, Katie and Dixie, thank you. And and the rest of the folks that work with this podcast, thank you so much for inviting me and giving me an opportunity to to kind of talk about my trajectory, I guess. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, did my undergraduate degree at the University of Notre Dame. And in the area, I actually... I actually share this kind of deeper secret with students uh, because I was interested in me going to medical school. But let's just say things didn't go well in the early days. And, and so I had to kind of refocus. And I love sciences, so I stayed in sciences and graduated from Notre Dame with a, it's kind of a strange major. It was a combination chemistry biology major. But I also, and this will date me some, I had a low draft number. So I went into the military for a while. Well, six years. <laughs> and so it's it's kind of, there's lots of offshoots of all of that that are kind of interesting and actually have served me well. I, at the time, I didn't know it. 
but I, I think my example of things not going well for my major, I like sharing that with students who also have had some rough road because you can repair. You know, I think that's an important thing. I'm not where I thought I'd be, but I'm not so sure I'm not in a place that I'd rather be. So after I got out of the uh, my active duty on in the military, I had applied for a master's program in special education. I was kind of leaning towards becoming a high school biology teacher with my undergraduate degree, but the military kind of got in the way of me pursuing that, although I was certified in, in a state or two. But I decided I wanted to work with special populations. I cannot tell you for sure why, how that happened. Some people have family members. There's clear paths to why you do what you do. I, I That wasn't the case, but I got interested. UVA fortunately kind of looked at the last two years of your undergraduate program. And I went to the University of Virginia to get a master's in special education. After that, I taught in the Charlottesville Public Schools for a number of years as a resource teacher. So working with kids with what we would call high incidence disabilities, individuals with more learning disability, mild emotional and behavioral issues, mild intellectual disability. Those were kind of the kids I worked with. I uh, went back to get a doctorate. It's an interesting story there, but we don't have time for that. But I had forgotten I had applied for the doctoral program, but somehow got in. And it was easy because I lived in Charlottesville, went back for my doctoral program. And then after that, I took a position at the University of Hawaii in Manoa, which is in Honolulu. And I was there for 10 years in the Department of Special Education. After 10 years, I, I loved Hawaii. I didn't leave it because I didn't like it. It was a it was a good match for me in a lot of ways, but it was an expensive place, still is, but it was an expensive place at that time. And so my wife and I had gotten married. We decided it was, we probably needed to come to the mainland, but it was a year sooner than I had planned because I had gotten tenure and promoted at the University of Hawaii, but an offer to come to Austin, not at UT, was actually an offer with a publishing company that came up and it was only momentary, meaning I couldn't put this off for a year. And the reason that was significant for me is that it was my year to go up for full professor. and. I had to make a decision, one, to leave a tenure track position, which people were saying, why would you ever do that? But I thought the opportunity was too great. I And I had spent some time in Austin, so I knew that Austin was a great place. I also knew people in the Department of Special Ed pretty well. And while they couldn't guarantee anything, they said that, you know, there's always opportunities to teach because we need adjunct or instructors to, to fill positions. So I, I took the offer, came to Austin primarily to work with a publishing company, uh, but also to continue my interest in higher ed teaching at UT. And as it turned out, I've been here for 31 years, I guess, and I've taught every semester since I almost got here. So it's it's been a regular gig. <laughs> Bringing it up to speed today, I guess over the years here at UT, I've probably taught 13 or so different courses, but I'm now pretty much in a groove of three. <laughs> you know, I'm, I teach two classes for undergraduate studies, and I do a class called Individual Differences pretty much every fall and spring. Uh, there are other section, sections of that class taught by some wonderful people, but I kind of do the once a week one. And I love that class and every semester look forward to doing it again. So that's kind of, that's the quick life story that I, as you know, and I think we'll get into, I do some other things. I've definitely enhanced my international work. 
And then as as Katie introduced me, I, I, I spend a lot of time in uh, the criminal justice system. That's awesome, Jim. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's hard to, you to encapsulate all of that so quickly. You did an awesome job. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about the undergraduate studies classes, because for a lot of those who listen to this podcast, they're not fortunate enough to have a curriculum like that at their schools, or they may even be here at UT and not be too familiar with the core classes. And so maybe share a little bit about that program, very broad sketch overview But talk about the exciting nature of the design of those classes and maybe pick one of the two that you teach and and let us know what that looks like. Dick, it's a fantastic question and somewhat of promotion, but also just a a wonderful, a wonderful kind of sense of of what's available here at UT to students and to faculty. It's, it's, It's both groups benefit so greatly. So the undergraduate studies has these these courses called signature classes. Not sure why signature is the name. I probably should know, but I don't. And there's two types. There's a, a smaller one, which is UGS 302, which are restricted to 18 students. I think anybody here at UT, as well as folks from outside, know that this is a very large university and students coming in as freshmen. There's this worry, I think, sometimes. You know, eventually students, it, the university gets very small because you get into your program and it, it becomes a very more intimate thing. But early on, it, it can seem like it's a very overwhelming kind of place to be. These signature classes provide a, a, a forum for these small classes. Now, some of the UGS, the 303s can be larger. They can actually get into larger numbers. But the 302, which is what I have done, they restrict it to 18 and they're very strict about that. They don't they don't allow us to go beyond that. Now, sometimes you have rooms where you couldn't anyway. From a student's perspective, it gives them a chance to be in a class where they can really, truly get to know other students. They get to know a faculty member too. Uh, And that becomes important, not only because it just gives you a little bit more of a, as I said, this intimacy, if you will, uh, academic intimacy. But I mean, now there's somebody that can actually write a letter of recommendation for them if they need it. Uh, And many of them do. The, The idea is that it's just a wonderful opportunity. And it's a it's it's wonderful for faculty to have this opportunity to do it. And any faculty member can apply to do these things. We can propose topics that you would never probably be able to do in your your department just because they don't necessarily fit into a uh, a program of studies. I do a class called Disability in the Media. While I've touched on that topic, often in my other classes, and I do it in ALD 322, the one I class I still do, it's only a glancing piece because that's not the major focus of the course. The signature classes have given me an opportunity, which is at first daunting because you start with, well, I, I do an hour on that. Now I got 28 sessions, but oh, what a wonderful opportunity to really be able to dig into something that you have a special interest in and can share with students in a way that that is discussion-oriented and intimate in the sense that you really get to know each other really pretty well. Even in, in an online setting, it seems to have worked well, but it, it's just a wonderful, wonderful outlet. The class I do on media and, and disability has been a topic I've always been very interested in because it's one where I've I've always been worried about how disability gets portrayed. And, and then for a large percent of the population, their understanding of disability is going to come through media sources. And, and we're talking about media across the spectrum. I have enhanced in recent years because of the times 
much more emphasis on social media than I did when I started teaching this class. And I do have to rely on students to assist with that because, yes, I use social media, but not like they do. And so it's it's been really fun to grow in the course with the students that are in the class as well. We'll look at, and this, the class doesn't just draw special ed majors who you might think, oh, they would be drawn to this. I might get one of the 18, but they're electrical engineers. They're from across the board, which is so wonderful because they can take the messages and, and what we do and spread them elsewhere in, in that sense. So I just think that it's just such a fun thing to do on all levels. The second one I'm doing now, class is just a completely different thing. <laughs> and I'm waiting for a, some type of 60 minutes expose on this one, but it's called Changing Your Life Through Travel which is so wonderful. Yeah, and I'm and I'm really interested in that idea of those courses that we teach which when we do have that interdisciplinary group in there. When you think about designing and facilitating or teaching for that group, are there particular things you have top of mind? As someone who already works around disability and inclusion and access, I'm sure is like key things you're working in. I'm wondering then how how are you designing a course that you know you're going to have students in with like really different experiences or interests? Um, so trying to find that like need to know for that group that crosses a lot of spaces. How, what, what comes to your mind as you're kind of putting that together? Great question, Katie. And I'll say that I, I think this class, it would be safe to say I've been in, there's been three eras or phases. The first one was just getting it together and trying and doing what I had, right? I mean, meaning that I had one hour and now I had 28, an hour and a half classes. So I had to, that was phase one. And, and I think that worked okay. Phase two, I honed it down. My, the, the golden rule, I think for me and I others is, you know, you don't really have a course humming until you've done it about three times. I, when I got into phase two, then I started actually leaving it a little bit flexible based on who I had in the class and what their interests were. So I would I could shape it a little bit towards who was in the class. I mean, for instance, I don't know comic books the way some people know comic books. But if I had folks that had an interest in that, we then got into it. And I, I made that a little bit more of a, an emphasis. Now in, in era three or phase three of these years of teaching this class, and I would say this started last year. So it's been what into year 10 or 11 or whatever it was. I'm not trying to cover as much. I used to try to cover everything, you know, newspapers, you know, television, films, comics, dance, music, everything. And I, I didn't even cover it all. Photography, art, all of that. Now I'm, I'm getting, I'm focusing a little bit more on certain areas. Like in fall, which I, I do the class in the fall, we're going to spend multiple sessions on social media, which I've always covered, but now it's going to, it's going to be much more of a presence because that's what these folks are doing more. And I do bring people in, like, for instance, one of my favorite sessions is I have a, uh, it's a former UT student who is a Paralympian on the USA wheelchair rugby team. And he's just wonderful. And he'll, he's so gracious with his time. He'll come in and he'll talk about how media covers Paralympians in the US versus in other parts of the world, which is, it's very different. Anyway, so the class is just so much fun to do. And, and, and to answer your question, I mean, just to make sure I, I did it, Katie, it's a writing flag course. So I don't have my topics of what the papers will be or even the major project until I know who the students are. And then I kind of focus it a little bit on who I have in the class. Now, one just real quick sidebar is I'm doing something called Diplomacy Lab. 
And so this class is going to have to engage in something that I've committed to the State Department to do. So we'll we'll see how that goes. You know, you just said a little bit about having having that international space, Jim. And in thinking about those projects, Jim, what do you what do you see as the value of international work, both for you as a as a human and, and an educator, as well as your students? Why why international work for you? I didn't travel much as a as a kid, not at all. But part of that was at the time it was just too expensive to go. I didn't leave the country. I don't think Tijuana counts, but um, but I, I don't think I really left the country until I was right before I started my doctoral program, which was pretty later on because I'd already been teaching for a few years. So my international experiences started later, but I'm trying to make up for it. And a lot of it has been personal slash professional endeavors, meaning folks that I've made contacts with in various ways and then have done kind of independent kind of international work which is very possible. I, and as much as it, I'm, I'm such a supporter of Texas Global, but there's also independent things one can do as well. And, and that's kind of what happened. There's an interesting story there, but I, I got on the, I guess, the uh, draft of, of, of or the wake of a friend who was in the Peace Corps. And, and this guy, everywhere he went, he just put me in contact with people. And I just started following him around the world, which is why it got me to Vietnam and the Philippines. Uganda, I mean, just all sorts of places. Uh, he was oh, in St. Lucia as well. And so that's been kind of an interesting piece. So there's ways to get this to happen. I've also been professionally interested in international special education, kind of in a comparative sense. I actually took a class in my doctoral program that allowed me to kind of get into that for the first time. And that was a long time ago. But I've also, I'm an, uh, an editor on a three-volume series with Prager uh, on, it's a handbook on international special education. So I've been able to kind of put that together in a, a more formalized way. And that was just so much fun to do. I, I'm a co-editor with Mike Waymar from the University of Kansas, and it's, it was just a great opportunity. And then, as I've said, in recent years, I've kind of stepped up my game here at Texas Global with doing the, uh, you know, the virtual exchange piece, which I'll, that will start in spring of 22. And then the diplomacy lab piece that's that happens here this fall. We are no longer a solitary nation in the sense that our students need to be globally informed. And, and I think there's different ways to get there, you know, where there's certainly Texas Global. There's a lot of faculty led opportunities. And I'm a big supporter. I haven't done that, but I'm a, I was a big supporter of it historically because my daughter, who did not go to Texas, UT, she did a year abroad in Copenhagen, a summer in Sydney, and then decided to get a master's degree in Amsterdam. So I think that my efforts to get her globally educated worked somehow. As, as When she became 10, she and I would travel every year in some type of, we'd call it, we called it Survivor's Week, but we would go somewhere. And the, the running joke in my family is I never took her to Disneyland or Disney World, but I did take her to about 14 countries, you know, so I guess she got Epcot, you know, real life. My children would say the same thing to me. They're often, I am often shamed by the fact that I never took them to that, to Disneyland, but they're about to go to Bosnia. So I'm like, hey, come on. I still feel badly about it a little bit. but do not feel badly, either of you. Well, we laugh at it now. She did get to Disneyland, but she went through her dance team in high school, not through me. 
but but to come back so what what uh i i, I guess i i wanted to say is that I just think the class on changing your life through travel, it's not about where to stay in Amsterdam. It's not that. It is clearly that travel can change your life. But I don't focus just on international travel. It's also, I mean, you could you can have life-changing experiences by going to an Asian grocery market. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the thing is, there's a lot of what we call micro-adventures that exist. And it's a lot about the class ends up being a lot about life issues in a way. I don't pretend to be a counselor. I'm not a life counselor or whatever those folks are. But but we do get into a lot of things about how travel can, in various facets and formats, how it can change your life. And so that's what that is. And I will bring in Texas Global folks to the class because I want to, I want to encourage that. You know, there's an individual named Pico Iyer, who, if you read travel literature, one would know his name. He also talks about stillness and how it's important to also just have time where you are not traveling. You know, so there's 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 these other aspects of the class that are important as well. So that's the class in, in, in a nutshell. And, and again, I just finished my third time doing it. So I think I now got it in a groove. It's taken three times, but I'm there. I'm hearing you talk about, when I think about like values for yourself and, and also students, this notion of perspective taking really strikes me as I'm hearing you speak about both your own journey to these different places, this notion as well of relational practice. So much of our international journey might be through a friend. I mean, I, you know, my work ended up following along a colleague who is with the State Department, who just keeps bringing me to our next embassy appointment and has me start working there. So I've, you know, I've been all over Eastern Europe now. In my third country, I'll start Poland uh, in the fall and I'm finishing my fourth year in Bosnia. So like, and I think this idea of relationship, of exchange, of kind of learning a new system and seeing what is similar and what is actually quite different is such a powerful thing when we're thinking about our teaching and learning practices. And I wonder for you, as someone who's then designing these spaces for your students, where are you thinking about some of those questions? Where are you thinking about opportunities for reflection and reflexivity around perspective taking with your students and the design of those experiences? Yeah, that's a great question and topic. I try to certainly get things started because not everybody has the same experiences, everybody is going to experience a location and or whatever we do differently as well. And so what I might get out of it may not be what you get out of something as well. So that's important. But the, Which the is powerful. I mean, I think right now of all times, yeah. even of our current climate around social justice, racial justice reckoning, like I think being able to see that someone else has a different perspective. And I don't know about you, when I work with embassies, that's what I'm most often asked to do. You know, I do my work through the arts and education, but, you know, there, the question is always, we want to look at perspective taking, critical thinking, you know, and how do you build it? Yeah. And I really try to put time into selecting readings, for instance, that will generate, get us going on some of these things or, or even videos or whatever it might be that gives us some baseline that we can work from. So that's one way of doing it. And, and, and there's, we also take on some uncomfortable topics. I mean, like, for instance, in changing your life through travel, you'd say, well, what, where would that ever become an issue? But if you get into neocolonialism and, you know, kind of being concerned about our environment in terms of, you know, just getting on a plane. I mean, there, there's folks that are, you know, maybe we shouldn't be flying as much. You know, there, there's a lot of other perspectives. 
And I think it's important to bring those out. But there are some uncomfortable topics in everything that that I cover and that that you all cover too. And, And I think it's important to raise those. I know that there are issues about things that sometimes we might not be able to raise, but I think it's important to, to raise those things. I also feel that in my death penalty work, I'm always referred to as an expert because that's what they, they, that's what I'm called. I hate the term expert. I despise it. I never want it to be used when I do inter- any international work. I never want people to think I'm an expert. I want to say is I have done some things. I'm excited about sharing them with you, but you have to figure out whether they work. You know, you've got to integrate those in to your system. A best example of that, because I was just on a Zoom call yesterday with the person in charge of special education for the country of St. Lucia. A couple of years ago, he asked me to, he and his, his department asked me to come down to just help them kind of think through a referral process for kids with special needs. They had one, but they wanted to kind of enhance it some. And I made it really clear to Dale that I don't want to come down as an expert. Oh, here's this system that I have used in the U.S. to be used there. St. Lucia is a different place. They have, here's some things, but you're going to have to massage that into a way that will work for you guys. And, and that's the way to do it for me. You touched on this a little bit, Jim, and I wonder if you might maybe give some more specific examples. What you've picked up globally that you might have taken back to your own classroom and how has the world been changing you? Yeah, I think I'll I'll, I'll use two examples. Let, let me go with St. Lucia first. I, I would say the teachers we I got to know and without being over sentimental, et cetera, et cetera, but the level of interest and, and compassion that I saw in the teachers in St. Lucia was, that was something to share with people. You know, uh, there was a level of, of concern and interest and also creativity. The teachers, they didn't have the $800 program that a school here in some ISD in Texas might have, They've got shells absolutely, or, or buttons or things. And, and to the creativity of the teachers, I think that was probably the thing from, from St. Lucia. The, it was the compassion and interest in their students and also the creativity. Those were the two things that I would say that I, I, can, I can share, I brought back to share with our students. And I hear you about that also, that like that working with natural items too, yes, la- yeah. things from the land. I mean, I did a lot of work with indigenous populations and just the like indigenous ways of knowing and, and connective to the land is huge. And that's such an important yeah. thing we've disconnected to in education here. Well, fortunately in, in St. Lucia, I actually have taught credit our classes there. So that means I'm down there for weeks through hurricanes, through whatever, it just changes. And I just was stunned by how creative these teachers were. They don't have the commercial resources. They come up with resources. And I'll say just, I, I won't go as in detail in Taiwan. The thing in Taiwan is they are doing amazing things. And to think that, you know, we're doing something better, maybe you need to go and look because they're they're doing some fantastic things. Uh, and that's why I think this global virtual exchange is so great because my students have to work with students in in Taipei and man these guys know these concepts as well as we do and maybe apply them a little more realistically you and know t- at times they may have to yeah yeah mm-hmm. exactly
And I've only been to Taipei one time and I had to do eight sessions in three days, I think. And my luggage didn't arrive until the day I was leaving. <laughs> so it was a fascinating time. Well, well the, the, the one time I was there for a couple months, I actually lived in an apartment by myself, meaning it was it was like living a. I wasn't in a hotel kind mm -hmm. of thing, you know? Yeah. And now when I go to St. Lucia, I don't stay in hotels. I stay, I stay with local folks. Yeah. I know, yeah. which is so much that, better. Yeah. You know, one of the themes in the travel class is, yes, there's beautiful places to see. And yeah, take pictures. But, but it's, it's the people. It's, it's meeting the people. We are very fortunate that we get to establish a closer relationship with folks faster than you ever would if you were just part of a, a, a touring group. I, I said that before. I, it is so, and you're right, it's privilege. Jim, I wonder for actually both of you, both Jim and Katie, because one thing I'm hearing you both talk about, especially within the international space, is the value of collaborative work and that openness to, to hear and to listen and to learn. You know, we, we refer to that growth mindset, but also just really that understanding that there are so many ways to do, as Jim said so eloquently, <laughs> things. <laughs> we do things and we do them differently. So I wonder if you all would have any advice in terms of how to, especially for a younger faculty member, perhaps, who's listening to you and going, this sounds so exciting to me and I would love to be able to see the stream of my career, including this. What would be if you had one or two pieces of advice for someone who wanted to begin to dip their toe into the, those collaborative waters, particularly at the international level? What are some things that they could do right now to perhaps see that begin to unfold? One thing that comes to my mind, Dixie, is for no matter what the discipline is, I think it's important for us to look at what people are doing outside of the U.S. I, I, I just think it's important to look at psychologists in Cuba, what they're doing, you know, or, or Europe or wherever it may be. There's some fascinating work being done elsewhere that we ought to be looking at. Do you have any thoughts, Jim, maybe on why that doesn't happen more organically or that, or that it just maybe isn't happening? Let me speak for my field anyway. I think we're so focused on in, in my area of special ed on what we're doing here. And that's really important. And we've got a lot of things we need to be dealing with. And, and some, in some fields, like that's part of the problem is that our process of special ed in the U.S. isn't the way it works elsewhere. You know, there, there's different systems. Sometimes language can be an issue, meaning that there could be things published in journals that I don't read. But, you know, we can get around that these days. You know, that's not as big an issue as it used to be. And I think it may, maybe it's the discipline. I, I would think some disciplines are by nature looking outwardly beyond the U.S., <laughs> Like fashion design, I'm thinking, man, mm -hmm. I think you need to look at Italy, right? Yeah. And some other places. But my point is, I think some fields may be just a little bit more focused. But, you know, the pandemic's a good example. We better be looking at what folks are doing elsewhere in terms of healthcare, et cetera. Yeah, context is so powerful. Yeah. And, and you're speaking to the fact that, let's just use special ed as an example, that there are things that happen here that aren't going to be happening someplace else. So we're not faulting people for not looking elsewhere. Right. But I think you're both making the point that there's tremendous value in doing that. Katie, how about in your field? 
Yeah, I mean, I love to start with, and this may be super controversial for this podcast. I'm about to what I'm about to say, but <laughs> I look at what starts here changes the world as a really interesting entry point to the, my response on this because. Yeah, I mean, I would say most of my global work did start because someone picked up my book or a website I run or other things out of UT. Then they were like, "How do you do that? I want you to bring that here. Come do this with us." But I'll tell you, once I got there, I worked on setting up a, a workshop, a presentation, a multi-year partnership that was about co-construction and exchange and reciprocity. And I'll tell you, all of my best moves came from other people in global spaces. So, working on a project with an inclusive school around disability and education in the arts in South Australia helped me rethink everything I do about inclusion. Help me learn a process where I run professional learning now with young people as being as vocal and centered and core to the meaning making and decision making on how we implement as the adults in the room, you know. And so that came from work in Australia, and I and I really thought there's no way I'll ever be able to bring that back to the U.S. And then fortunately, we have started projects here, and they they work pretty well. So that idea of reciprocity to me is at the heart of it, Dixie. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, you know, I actually I love that we can see what starts here changes the world, and yet your world is changed as you go out. Yeah, what what happens in the world changes us is always my response. <laughs> exactly, which is is very powerful. That's amazing. Thanks, Jim. And I I just love hearing about the ways we stay open to change. I mean, something I'm just so struck by hearing you talk, which is just a great reminder, is like we're growing in every year of our lives and every year of our practice as humans with other humans and it you know and how i can only imagine how much that seeps into and is a part of how you are in the classroom with your students and that modeling and that excitement feeds their journey to stay reflexive and committed to change and growth i mean that's just growth mindset as dixie said earlier but like just modeling that is uh is a beautiful thing. Thank you. I'd like to think I'm doing it. Sometimes I may be doing it better than other times, but true about everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it's a journey and a process, and that we have others with us on this yeah, journey. So sure. it maybe comes up at least once a podcast. So I'm thrilled that that we can can wrap things up here with that. Is this concept that that we all I think try to communicate to our students. Nothing is wasted. Nothing. Everything you do in your life is going to be connected at some level, at some point. And if you bring yourself fully and you engage with, you know, a hundred percent of who you are, that you're going to probably use that down the road somewhere, somehow. So, you know, let me into to that point real quickly. Working summers in a factory, being in the military, all of those things have been important. Yes that have led to what I do now. So anyway. Yes. Well, Jim, it has been delightful talking with you. I hope that it wasn't a stressful conversation because I no, know it you wasn't were at all. concerned uh, about it. I'm thinking, you know, he testifies in death penalty cases and, and he's concerned about this well, conversation. I, I will just say, I've gotten to know you a little bit over time. And, and I think the most of you, and I knew that it would be a very enjoyable experience. Well, I hope that it was. And we have so appreciated your taking time this summer to just 
share with us and, and with those who are listening the power of what you do beyond internationally and within this work in terms of special education and the impact that you have. Um, I think the ripple effects are, are huge. And so I, I salute you for that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Shut off our recording. All right, I'm three, two, one, stopped. You've been listening to The Other Side of Campus, a production of the Provost Teaching Fellows at the University of Texas at Austin. Our executive producer is Mary Newberger. Our producer is Michelle Daniel. And our music and sound design are by Charlie Harper Music at charlieharpermusic.com. For more information, please visit us online at texasptf.org. We hope you'll join us next time on The Other Side of Campus. Thank you.